So what we're going to do, right, is um, I'm going to stop at certain places in the message and then, um, are you allowed to call out one word, answers? Okay, just mindful, maybe cover it a little bit. You don't want to share your germs too much. Um, just want to get you guys involved as much as I can, okay? So the Bible reading is from which book? John, yes. We're following on from last week and the week before and the week before. We're continuing on. Okay, so if you've got your Bibles, turn to John or your smartphones or whatever you've got. We're looking at John chapter 15 and we're looking at verses 18 through to um, chapter 16 verse 4. So it's kind of just a, a small section in the Bible. The heading in my Bible says, Jesus, disciples, and the world. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, so it would probably be a little bit different to yours, um, which is, is not a bad thing. It's just different. Okay. It says this. Actually, before we read it, let's just get the context. So we know we're looking at the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. Okay? Remember that. Remember last week, Tony spoke about you know, the, the cutting of the branches, um, the, the opportunity that, that that brings for the fruit to grow. Um, we also get this theme of light and dark. I get that theme coming through John quite a bit, not only from last week, but the last few weeks. And I think last time I shared, we kind of got that image. There's also another image of Jesus keeps saying, love each other. Every opportunity, I spoke about a month ago, and that was a theme in that. And I'm speaking again on the back of that as well. Love each other. Okay? So Jesus is now with his disciples, and he says this. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not a greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if, if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me. For they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had come and spoken to them, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what is written in their scriptures. They hated me without cause. But I will send the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. Chapter 16. I've told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith for you will be expelled from the synagogues 
And the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. This is because they have never known the Father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen, you'll remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a while longer. When I was growing up as a kid, um, there was a word that you never said to especially your sibling, and that word was, have a guess. It's not, it's not a rude word, but it was, uh, it was a word that you, you didn't say that word. Hate. Yep. How many times is the word hate used in this passage? And I always almost feel like smacking myself for saying the word hate. Not that I got smacked very much. I was a really good kid. But I do remember, you know, for instance, say there might be a one-off chance that I might have said to my sister growing up, I hate you. And you can imagine what my parents had said to me at this point. No, you don't say that word. You don't say hate. You don't actually hate your sister. You probably just dislike that she got in the way of you playing soccer or, you know, whatever it might be. You don't say that word. And so they were quite strict about that word is not to be used. Actually, in thinking as an adult, I don't actually hate anybody. I definitely dislike sometimes what people do or say, but I don't hate anybody. But the scripture straight away says, listen, the world's going to hate you. That's a strong word, isn't it? I remember people saying like, actually, there's not necessarily a lot of hate in the world. There's just a lot of fear in the world. And out of fear, people act like they hate things. And it kind of makes a bit more sense to me when I, when I look at it like that. Because hate is an aggressive word. You hate someone, it's quite aggressive. But if you are afraid of someone or afraid of different things, you might then necessarily say, oh, okay, well, I can understand where I'm going with that now. Rather than, oh, I'm aggressively going to just, I hate that, but I'm just going to hit them in the head. But... If we are separated a little bit and say, look, the world's probably afraid or we're afraid of people, I get a little bit more understanding about that. So hate. I don't like to be hated. Has anyone liked to be hated? I don't think so. But the Bible here is saying that the world's going to hate us. And I think we can group in with the disciples here for a little bit. Even though this warning was quite strong for them at their point of time, because you know what Jesus has gone through up until this point. And we know what Jesus is going to have to endure in the next few hours is more hatred, violent crucifixion. And the disciples are in his team. And Jesus warning them right now, guys, listen, seriously, you're going to be hated. You, I love how he says, listen, those who kill you, you know, oh, okay, they're going to kill us. That, I don't know if they misinterpreted what 
Jesus was saying there, but when Jesus says, oh, listen, they're going to kill you, but they're going to think it's just, just because, you know, like, you know, they're doing what they think is right and you're doing what um, I'm asking you to do, and that's following my footsteps. So the disciples basically were hated by associating with Jesus. I remember growing up, um, or even now, not so much now, but I remember used to hating the Bulldog supporters because they were overly aggressive. I remember going to a game years ago, and I think it was the year that the Bulldogs won it. And I was in the stands, and you can imagine, it was at the Bulldogs' home ground, so you can imagine it was quite... And wearing a Panthers jersey, it was, I felt hated <laughs> if we want to stick with that thing. And it was by association. I was a Panthers supporter. I was loyal. And Penrith lost that game. And I think that was the game to get into the grand finals. It was one of the semifinals anyway. And I went with a mate and his brother and we caught the train in and all that sort of stuff. And then we were walking back to the train station and the Bulldogs supporters after the game filled the streets and they had drums. I'm sorry if the Bulldogs supporters watching this. I'm not, I'm not bad. Some of them are good. But we were walking through the streets and they had drums and they were yelling and they were blocking cars from... From going, they just blocked the streets. They were just doing their own thing. And me and my friend, he said to me, "Give me your, give me your Panthers jersey. I want to wear it." He was, he was up for a fight. And I was, it's okay, mate. Like, relax. It's okay. Let's just quickly go, um, get out of this. This, I think it was in Homebush. Let's, let's just get out of here. And, and I remember one time when Penrith beat the Bulldogs at, at Penrith. And Kate's dad always reminds us that all the way to the station, when they lost, they broke the trees and the plants. Now, I don't know if it was them, but I'm pretty sure it was. They got flogged and all the way to the station, they broke these new trees that were being planted. It was by association that I hated the Bulldogs supporters and maybe vice versa. By, by association, they hated... You know, me, because I was wearing a Penrith jersey. The disciples were hated by associating with Jesus. They had the, the jersey of Jesus. They followed in the footsteps of Jesus. And in this warning, there's something that sticks out for me. And it's this word advocate. I don't know if your Bibles say advocate or not. They might say something different. Um, I know that... Um, all right, I'll give this a go. I'll give the Greek word a go. So just let, before that, there's four occasions where this word advocate is used, okay? So there's one in chapter 14, verse six, 16. There's um, 14, verse 26. There's the one that we've read today in chapter 15, verse 26. And there's another one later on in chapter 16, verse 7. The Greek, Tony could probably correct me 
I think it's parakletos, cord, cord alongside. Okay, so that's my attempt at that. Um, and it's basically a word that describes the Holy Spirit, advocate. But, the, but once we start translating Greek into English, it does, you know that some words do lose the genuine meaning of what it actually meant at that time. Some, some Bibles might say counsellor, comforter, encourager. Um, there's some of the other words that go along those lines. But advocate's probably one of the better ones because advocate's kind of like a, a legal system, you know, someone representing you, defending you, protecting you in between. You know what I'm saying there by advocate? So it's a, it's a word that we don't normally use in our modern-day English either. Um, oh, thank you for being an advocate for me. Normally you say, oh, thanks for being a good friend. Or thanks for being there. Thanks for being alongside me in that. So the word advocate is a, is a, is a word that we don't normally use. It's, it's kind of more of a legal kind of term. Um, but here it's describing... Uh, in verse 26, of, so he's given them the warning. He's, he's going to say you're going to be hated. There's going to be all this sort of stuff happening. But he says, but I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. In amongst this passage, we... I just get the grasp that the disciples aren't fully aware of what's going to happen next. But Jesus is warning them about what's going to happen next. But surely they would have taken comfort in knowing that this advocate or this Holy Spirit um, is going to be there. Uh, I, I, I guess I just wanted to add a little bit more about this because in um, Luke... I've got this little... It's good having a real thick study Bible because sometimes when you get a bit stuck, you can look at these notes and think, oh, I never, ever would have thought of that, but I'm going to pinch it for, for today because it's given me a bit more insight about the Holy Spirit and this advocate because I still struggle a little bit with that. But this is what it says. This is like a, it's a side note in my study Bible. It says this. You see, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God occasionally came upon individuals to empower them for God's service and to prophesy. So in Numbers and Judges and 1 Samuel and in Ezekiel, we'll find that. Uh, in the Judaism of Jesus' day, there was a widespread belief that the spirit of prophecy had departed from Israel. With the last of the Old Testament prophets. But the prophets had predicted that when God's salvation arrived, he would pour out his spirit to all people. And that's found in Isaiah, Ezekiel and Joel. So in the Old Testament, they're talking about the spirit of God. Okay, And normally that was seen through prophets. 
This prophecy finds its initial fulfillment in the birth narrative in Luke. I know we should be in John, but let me just get some background because I want to know about this Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit inspired prophetic witnesses and guided the events of Jesus' birth. You see, John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit even before he was born. Zechariah broke into spiritual-filled hymn of praise to God. Mary uh, conceived through the Spirit and prophesied through the power of the Spirit. And Simon was led by the Spirit to the temple to see the Messiah. This is all in a couple of chapters of Luke. Later in his life, Jesus was anointed by the Spirit at his baptism and empowered to accomplish his role as the Messiah. Now, we know if we go forward a little bit more, we see this. Following the ascension, Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies by pouring out his Spirit on his disciples on the day of Pentecost, empowering them to take the good news of salvation to the ends of the earth. And we read that in Acts. Throughout Acts, the church accomplished its mission through the guidance, power and direction of the Holy Spirit. And for Luke, the coming of the Spirit makes the beginning of God's salvation. God's presence and power now resides in his people of Penrith Baptist Church. I just felt that that, for me, made it a little bit more clear about the role of the Holy Spirit in what we're reading now. Because it keeps coming up in John. And if it keeps coming up, then it's surely it's important. And if it's important for Jesus to be continuing to tell his disciples, you will be given the advocate. I want to know what the advocate is and what it does. Because I think that helps us when we're reading through John and, and learning through John. I want to share a story. Uh, you guys know the game you know, the cards, card game you know. If you, have never, if you don't know it, I apologise, but this is a game about you know. So last time, um, Auntie Katie and Uncle Brad saw their nephews it was um, at Little Athletics. We went to watch them a couple of weeks ago. Um, our twin nephews, Logan and Lachlan, they're six, and little Lucas, he's nearly four. And as you can imagine, watching these little kids run around an athletics field, and they were excited. Um, little Lucas got sidetracked when he was running. Uh, he was, I think he was doing a 200-metre run, and we're going, go, Lucas, go, Lucas. It's a big, it's a long way for a, a little three-year-old, nearly four. And he started running over to mum and we're like, the finish line is that way. You only got sort of 20 metres to go. And he's, oh, I need a drink. So he goes to the pram and gets a drink, has a drink, and then runs back onto the track and finishes the race. It was hilarious. It was cute watching these guys. Anyway, at the end, they said, oh, can you come back to our place, please, Auntie Katie? They go to Auntie Katie, you know, there's a soft touch. Please, can you come back? Well, we'll, we'll, play some, we'll play some games. All right. So by the time we walk in there, the Uno cards are already out. We're playing Uno. This is the game of the month for them. 
And so we're sitting around the table and we're playing Uno. And you, most of you know have played it before, yeah? You've got your draw twos and draw fours, right? And they're probably the cards that you don't want to receive because that means you have to pick up more cards. The idea of the game is to get rid of your cards. But if the person next to you puts down a draw two or a draw four, that means you've got to pick up more cards, okay? Aunty Katie, or Aunty Cakey, as they call her, um, she was sitting next to Lucas, who's three and four, and he's just learning this game. He's kind of worked it out. He's worked out the draw twos and draw fours anyway. So if he knows in his hand he's got to draw two and draw four, he rubs it in your face. So Aunty Katie, unfortunately, was on the end of Katie and then puts it down. And then she has to pick up draw two, draw four... For whatever reason, he's got a really good hand and he's got more of these to come. And then the next turn comes around, Katie, and then puts it down. He's got to draw four. Oh. And I think he ended up winning that game, but he just rubbed it in Katie's face. Only Katie said, listen, next game I'm going to move. I'm going to sit somewhere else because I'm not putting up with this. I'm a, I don't think Annie Katie didn't mind uh, like losing and getting on the cards, but, but it was the manner in which it was happening, okay? So she moved in between the twins. So then Logan, who was then the recipient of um, getting these cards, for whatever reason, he got another good hand the next round, and then Logan was in between. Logan was the advocate at this time. I think he actually volunteered to protect Arnie Katie. Arnie Katie, I'll go there. I'll sit there. And so Logan was copying all the bad cards. Now, I don't think he was as bad as... He wasn't rubbing it in as much as he was with Arnie Katie. I think it was this little joke between Arnie Katie and and a little three-year-old who thinks the sun shines out of Katie. But Logan was copying it in between. All right. He volunteered to stand in between. And Logan's heart is so big. This is how much he loves Annie Katie. He has his own draw twos and fours or skips or whatever reverses. And he doesn't use them because he's trying to protect Annie Katie. So he'd rather pick up a card. And even Annie Katie says, well, you can use it. It's okay. It's part of the game. But he's not, no, no and he'll pick up a card. So he'd rather pick up and lose and protect Arnie Katie than to put more on Arnie Katie. And I feel like that's what the advocate does. It stands in between us and the world, okay? And when the world's going like this to us, trying to bring us down or rub it in our face or wherever the world might be trying to do, because we know Satan's influence is in through this world, we can see it. Just put on the news for five seconds or just hear something on social media, you can see it. But the advocate stands in between and cops it on our behalf and protects us, protects us, comforts us, encourages us and is our advocate in this time. I love how it says, though, in verse 16, my interpretation of this is stay strong in your faith. 
this interpretation says, don't abandon your faith. It would have been easy for the disciples to go, I'm done, and walk away. I just want to live a peaceful life. But they didn't. They kept walking. You know that image I think I said ages ago, walking in the footsteps on the beach of my dad or walking in the footsteps of Jesus. They kept walking, even though it was difficult, even though they were persecuted, even though they were stoned, even though life was terrible for them, locked up, whatever they went through, they did not abandon their faith. They stayed strong in their faith. Closing, I, as I said, I, I don't know if I said this at the start, but I keep getting this image of a shepherd, the good shepherd. And that's why I read Psalm 23 at the start. I keep getting this image of a shepherd throughout reading this small passage. The shepherd's not even uh, included in this. It's, but I keep getting this image of Jesus as the good shepherd. And it's an image that I can relate to. The, the master and the slave, I, I don't really get because I'm not really a master. I've never really been a slave. I've just been a suburban Penrith boy. But I still can get the image, I've never been a shepherd either, but I can still get the image of a shepherd because it's, it's easy, it's easy to see. You see, or we don't necessarily see a shepherd anymore, we see farmers and they're more on quad bikes and, and rounding up the sheep rather than um, shepherds, their whole lifestyle was looking after these sheep. That was it. And it reminds me, you guys probably know, have you ever heard the story of the lost sheep? You can nod or whatever. Yeah, okay, cool. You ever know, you know that story where there's the lost sheep and the shepherd goes out and he leaves how many sheep? Leaves 99 and goes for one. Most people would have said, oh, one's all right. Still got 99. But this guy goes out, finds the one, brings it back, has a celebration with his family and friends, and says, listen, the sheep that was lost is now found. Let's celebrate. And I'm so grateful that this Jesus who went to the cross and went through all this hardship for me and for you is still the type of guy who would go out and find one person bring them back to the flock and in the process let's celebrate the fact that this person has now been found now this is not in the context of what we're reading and this is just maybe my my imagery going somewhere where it probably is distracting but all I do is all I see is Jesus is now warning his sheep, don't go that way, but stay with the flock. Stay on the path. Stay on the journey. You know, sheep, people always say sheep are the dumbest animal. I don't know. I, I want to stick up for sheep for a minute. I think sheep have just simplified life. You know what a sheep does? Three things. They could do more, but let's keep it simple. You know what sheep do? They eat grass. They eat, okay? We'll add eat eat and drink in one, okay? They, 
They eat. You know what else sheep? You call it. You tell me. I'm thinking of two other things. What does a sheep do? What's that? Sleep. Sleep? Uh, Yeah, okay. I didn't think of that one. (laughs) When I'm driving past, I don't normally see them asleep. But yeah, of course they sleep. That's that's a good one. Thank you. Four things. They eat and drink and sleep. You know what else they do? Grow wool. And what's the what's the last thing that I'm thinking of? Hey? Provide us with manure. I didn't think of that one either, okay? <laughs> sheep are sheep are going up in my The other thing that I thought of was sheep follow. They follow. And yeah, people say, oh you know, sheep are dumb, but I think they just simplified life. All I thought of was they eat, they grow wool, and they follow. They sleep and they provide manure as well, which is great. But let's not overthink this. We're like God's sheep. Okay? And we've obviously got to eat and sleep and and, and all that sort of stuff. But as followers of Jesus, our main role is to... Follow. Our main role is to follow Jesus. And that means necessarily denying ourselves and taking up the cross. It means being in the world but not of the world. It means loving others as ourselves. It means following Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. That's what a follower does. That's what a godly sheep does. And in this instance, I just got this image of Jesus just saying to his sheep, follow me. It's going to be hard. I imagine being a sheep, uh, shepherd in those days. There was no beautiful lush green grass with a pen around it and we'll, we'll herd him into this pen, into the next pen. It was all through wilderness and and goodness knows how many sheep they would have lost along the way through, you know, wolves or bear. I remember with David, you know, defended off the lion with a sling. It would have been hard work. And I thought, well, what about the 99 that got left? Were they, like, unprotected then? Like, how does it work for the 99 that stayed? And some of the commentaries say, well, listen, there would have been a few shepherds at the time. There would have been... One shepherd, maybe in our instance, the good shepherd left to find the one. The other shepherds kept watch over the others. We keep coming back to this, I hated by the world, right? And this image, right, actually this morning, I was you know, packing up my stuff ready to come. And this image straight away said to me, you know what, Brad, but there's a verse in the Bible that actually talks about the world. And I think it's John 3, 16. Oh, remember that one? For God so loved the world. And I thought, we're hated by the world, but God loves the world. That's really weird. But the world hates Jesus because of what he was doing. But God actually loves the world. You see, it doesn't, Jesus doesn't hate the world back. He actually loves it. He actually 
came for that purpose of saving the world. You get what I'm saying here? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for uh, the opportunity to, to read your word. Uh, I pray, Lord, that um, we continue to um, stay strong in our faith. We know that we're going to come against some obstacles, some difficulties, some hardships. And in those moments, Lord, it's going to be difficult to see you. But Lord, you've sent us the advocate who's going to stand between us and the world and is going to take all those draw twos and draw fours. But Lord, it's going to comfort us, it's going to strengthen us and it's going to guide us into a, a, a moment of peace, a time of peace where we can see you clearly. And that is our prayer as a church, that the congregation will see Jesus clearly for who he is and will follow like a sheep, listening for the good shepherd's voice. And when he calls, we go. And when he says rest, we rest. We know through Psalm that um, we are going to go through um, the dark valleys, but we also know that it's going to be time of rest and lead us to calm water. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray for unity. I keep praying for uh, more opportunities to be creative in how we share the gospel. We pray for patience, Lord. We pray for, um, I guess, more moments where we can see you clearly, Lord, so we can be um, uplifted and encouraged to, to keep praising you with our lives. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.